0: First Samuel 16 verse 11, And Samuel said unto Jesse, "Are here all thy children, and he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and with all a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Look what it says in verse 19. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David, thy son, which is with the sheep. Now go to 2 Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David at Hebron. And spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that led us out, brought us, brought in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. Now look what it says in verse 4. And David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned forty years. I want to preach this morning on the subject of in God's waiting room. We consider here the circumstance. Most of you are very familiar with the story. Saul had been anointed king, appointed king, chosen by the people of Israel, not chosen by God. And David now is the choice for his replacement. God sends his man, Samuel, to go and anoint David. And it's interesting how we see these verses unfold. And each one of these young men, they come and they pass before the man of God. And he says one at a time, this is not God's chosen. Uh, Eliab, can you imagine? He comes up and dad says, surely this this is the choice. This is the next king. And the prophet says, no, absolutely not. And then Abinadab, Shammah, and and the others come. And uh, he says, is is this all the boys? No, I've got one left. He's out there tending the sheep. And they waited uh, for him to come. And immediately God said, this is my chosen servant, is king of Israel. Now, you would think in our minds, uh, timing is what we're talking about this morning. He would ascend the throne Within the next six months, right? Eight months, 12 months would be a delay. How many of you, if if you were there and you saw the anointing in the presence of God, the Bible said this is during a time when the Spirit of God did not indwell the believers. But look what it says at the end of that verse. So the Spirit of God came upon him, upon David from that day forward. This is a unique circumstance. And everyone was very aware of the uniqueness of the moment. And surely they were thinking, can you imagine, Jesse, can you imagine his brothers? Obviously, we see a little bit selfish selfishness revealed in this chapter. They're thinking, well, look at this. We have a brother, although they were jealous, thinking we're, we're going to be in the palace here real soon. And days and weeks and months passed, years passed, 13 years passed. Later now, for us, reading the story in hindsight, we say a big deal, deal with it, but when you 're the anointed one, thinking you 're going to ascend the throne, and we know what took place during those thirteen years, and it was mostly bad and rarely good. So, I want to talk to you about that this morning because if you look in your Bible, every man of God that we observe that we hold in high esteem also had to deal with God's waiting room. And we're not talking about months or years. For Moses, it was 40 years. For Job, it doesn't matter how long it was in the life of Job because when you're dealing with that much pain and that much sorrow and that much affliction, every day feels like eternity. In each one of these cases, whether it's Abraham waiting for the son, Jeremiah waiting for God's word to come to pass. Moses waiting to be used of God. It just seems like forever. Have you ever been there before? God's calendar wasn't coordinated with your calendar. And God's clock wasn't working exactly like your clock. So let me just make a few preliminary statements this morning. God, absolutely, yes. I tell this repeatedly to young people. God does have a timetable for everything that happens. God is not unaware. He's not confused. And it, we know it goes beyond Ecclesiastes 1 tells us about uh, God establishing a time and season for everything. But beyond times and seasons that, that God established, there's a specific time. And for each person, I believe for each entity, for each marriage, for each young person, God doesn't just have a will, He has a, a, a perfect timing for all those things to happen. And I'm, I like to consider myself an organized planner when we talk about missions conferences. These are things that we're already setting up, we're working on this year's, but we're already setting up next year's missions conference. We're, we are already putting time and effort into all those events. I'm not one of these people, spur the moment, fly by the seat of your pants. But I know I talk to pastors and they, they've looked at my counter and said, Preacher, you're already working on a year, 12 months, 15, 18 months in advance, we have to. We feel like we get caught off guard working that far in advance. Yes, yeah. But hold on for a minute. You're talking about an eternal God with no limitations by time yeah, right. who is planning things thousands of years in advance. Now, we'll just put it in that time scale because if we go anything beyond that, our mind's not going to quite capture you know, what we're trying to explain this morning. I love, go with me to Genesis. I know we'll deviate here for just a second from David and look at it uh, Abraham specifically, Genesis 21. Look what it says in verse one. You know uh, Abraham and the promise and his half-century way. The Lord visited Sarah as he said. Now, Sarah would think, well, well, was that as he said? Yes. God said you were going to have a son. He just didn't tell you when. You thought you were going to have a boy when you were 35 and then 40. And then at 50, you pretty much gave up. God said, that's no issue on my timetable. And the Lord did not say he had spoken for Sarah conceived and bear Abraham a son in his old age. Look what the next phrase says. At the what? It happened exactly. God, God put that date on his calendar. And that's not the date that Abraham and Sarah put on their calendars. But that, and God doesn't share those details. Don't you wish that God would share? There's a lot of reasons why he doesn't share. Sometimes they would panic us. Other times they'd frustrate us. We're better off not always knowing. Go me to Galatians 4 for just a moment. Now, if you think they had a long wait at a half a century, let's consider... The Jews and people in general waiting for the promised Messiah. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. And let me ask you this when was this promise made of the coming Messiah? In the garden. Thousands of years later. Now, what what was the right time for the Messiah to come? Exactly when it came, the fullness of time. God said, now, can anyone here explain to me? We've got a few Bible theologians here. Can you explain to me why that moment in history was precisely the right time? Couldn't he have come a thousand years earlier? Why not a thousand years later? Why not a couple thousand years earlier? So why that precisely, that generation, that moment? It is God in heaven that determines the times. It is God in heaven. And this Messiah would come through David. this all interconnects. We understand. But imagine David. Let's go back to David for just a moment. He is anointed, but he's not told a specific time. And the problem is we presuppose that God has figured out what we've thought would be the right time and that God's gotten on board with our calendar and that way we're all on the same page. Rarely does man want to get on God's calendar. Most of the time, we think, God, I know the perfect time and if you jump on board, I would feel a whole lot better and everyone would feel a whole lot better. Let me say, number two, timing's everything. The more you mature, the more you understand timing is everything. Now, we could give a thousand illustrations. If you're a farmer, there's a time to plant. You're wasting time and energy and seed if you plant at the wrong time. There's the time to water. Musicians know. Timing is everything. You know why music is beautiful? You know why these uh, trumpets and violins and we have different pianos. Why it's all harmonious? Because they've, they've understood the importance of timing. And kids get frustrated with this because kids come in, you know, they want a bike, they want a knife, they want a gun. Five years old. Dad, would you buy me a gun? No, I won't even buy you a, a Nerf gun. <laughs> because you'll do something with it that you shouldn't do with it. Right? How many of you had a six-year-old that asked you for a knife? Like, I can't trust you with a butter knife and you want a pocket knife? My, my kids came to me. You know, all, all teenagers think at 15 and a half, depending on their state, 16, depending on the regulations, that they ought to be able to get their permit or their license the day that the state says they are allowed to. But parents know better when they should get there. Each one of my kids, all three, got their driver's permit and license at a different age, because I was looking at them and their maturity and their responsibility and my patience level. I, I had several people that have asked me, Pastor, how did it go teaching your kids how to drive? It went well, really, because I didn't do it. I have little hair left. I would have no hair left. I probably wouldn't have any kids left if I had taught them. <laughs> I, I remember that uh, Chris, uh, I, I, I designated a few members to take him out and teach him how to drive. And after about three weeks to a month, he came back. He said, Dad, I'm getting pretty good. I said, OK, let's go for a spin. He got in the car. Uh, some of you remember where we used to live right over here off Slaughter. And from our house... Uh, to the entrance onto slaughter is about six blocks. We made it as far as to the entrance of slaughter, and I said, stop the car. (laughs) He said, what do you mean, Dad, stop the car? I mean, stop the car. That is not Mountain Dew on the floorboard of this vehicle. (laughs) You've already scared me half to death three or four times. Stop the car, I'm going to drive us back home and you're going to find another teacher until you get better at what you're doing. Now, parents know when the timing is right. And we, we know when they need the car and what kind of car they need. Now, how many of you uh, remember uh, your first car? Uh, how many of you that have had kids with a license you remember the argument, Dad, I'm 16 now. Dad, I'm 17. Dad, everyone else has a car. Well, that's a lie. There are people in Uganda that don't have a vehicle. So let's not go with everyone has, has a car. There, there are a few people that don't. But you don't need one right now. And then when we go to look, I know what kind of car you need. Number one, it's got to fit your budget. Number two, it doesn't need to go over 60 miles an hour. (laughs) Let's just eliminate the temptation from the very beginning. We understand that with our own kids, but for some reason we don't understand that between the father-son relationship, God with us saying, I know at what time, here's what God was telling David, you don't need the throne at 17. I'm going to make it clear, I'm going to go ahead and anoint you, but in the Process of time and the fullness of time at the set time. God's never late, never early. Uh, he understands timing. We don't understand time. I look back. You know, hindsight's a beautiful thing. I look back over my life and marriage and ministry, and now you can see how God perfectly timed when we went to argentina's missionaries. At that moment, we thought we we're going to be there for the rest of our lives. We hadn't been there long. Started at church and people getting saved and things were going well. I, I looked at a building and uh, we, we offered a, a price for the building. The man laughed at the moment. God gave us an unbelievable deal on a beautiful building located in the center of town. We were able to remodel it with Ashley's heart conditions within four and a half years. God had moved us from Argentina to Mexico. Now, let me ask you this. Those of you that pray for missionaries, and it meant a lot of missionaries. How many understand uh, the reality of a missionary having a beautiful building centrally located within two and a half years of riding on the field is extremely rare and unique? You know why God did that for us? Because God, in his perfect timing, knew that he was going to have to move us within four and a half years from that country, and that church would need everything. It was debt-free. Everything was in order. God knew that. So when we went to Mexico, and two and a half years into Mexico, we were still looking, and three and a half years, we were still looking, and four and a half years, we were still looking, and five and a half years, we were still looking. I said, God God knew that he wasn't going to move us out of Mexico after four and a half years. And God knew if he would have provided us land for a building within our first four years, we would have built a building way too small for the future of the church. So he said in a perfect time, we would have bought land too small, built a building too small. And God said, I'm going to put the brakes on all of this. And in my perfect time, give you the perfect location, the perfect size, the perfect building. But you don't know all of that. Aren't you glad that there's a God in heaven that can see what's behind and see what's ahead and has no limitations? And we are extremely limited because of our viewpoint and perspective and knowledge. And this ought to give us confidence in God's timing. So here's David waiting on God. Right, here's what we ought to do. Go with me to Psalm 63, 1. We ought to wake up in the morning and get connected with God as soon as we wake up so we can submit to his plans. Here's what happens. If you don't get with God first thing in the morning, you're gonna be frustrated every day. Because God's clock and your clock doesn't work the same. You're gonna be instead of praying, you're gonna be fussed with God. God, I need this and I need this right now. I wish you'd figure that out. Here's what David said in Psalm 63:1. Oh, God, there art my God. What? Early. early. You know why David didn't lose his mind to all these moments that he was waiting on God? Because he was waking up early, communicating with God in prayer. He said, I will seek thee early. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee, in a dry and thirsty land where no water. He, he's saying, I'm going to make sure that my longings for him, But for me to submit to his plan, his will, his perfect timing. Number four, God is always on time. God is always on time. Say, Pastor, this is way too simple. No, it's not, because we fuss with these things all the time. God is, let's say that together. God is always on time. We just said something we just don't believe. Now, here's a good thing with life and all the uncertainties of life that ought to help us rest at night nice saying God's always on time and he has a plan. He doesn't have to share that with me, but he's not making this up as he goes. Have you ever done that with your kids? You know, they wanted a bike. you just kind of make it up as you go. I'm going to get you a bike. You have no intention at the moment, but you're going to say it to appease him, get him off your back. You haven't looked at bikes, you haven't priced bikes, you don't even know what kind of bike they want, but you're just going to make it up. And then when you feel like the time is right, you got money in your pocket and you're at the store and the deal, a half price deal at Walmart, you know, you stumble across it, suddenly it's the right time to buy a bike. Most, most of us, no matter how pre-planned we are, we still wing it a lot. We just figure out at the moment how we're going to make it roll. You don't understand there's God in heaven that does not adjust at the moment based on the surprise of the day. God is so planned, so far ahead of what we can imagine, and David is trying to figure out life. God was not trying to figure out when. Now, the, the key is when, because that's what kids always ask. When right when and here's what you see when they're asking when that's in a vehicle it's either a desire they have something they want or a drive that's being made but the bottom line is as long as you have the driver who's who's capable and knows where he's going and has a plan the wind doesn't matter Right? How many you trust the person at the wheel? Then when should not actually matter. Here's what we're going through the book of Acts in Bible college. You know, we're in Acts 1. And the disciples are asking the Lord, when? When is the kingdom going to be established? When is it Israel? Uh, when, when is this going to all become permanent? And how, what is Christ's response to the disciples? It's not for you to know. The times. That's what we want to do. God, if you would just reveal the time, I'd certainly appreciate it. Young people waiting on a mate. So when, Lord? We don't know. Now, here's, here's what you ought to do. If, if God knows the time and you can rest in that time, and that ought to provide you confidence and uh, knowing his, his timing is best, you don't want to waste the time of waiting. Amen. Young people, this is important. I know young people are so concerned that we, we make comparisons and, and, and say, well, he got married at 20 and she got married at 22. And this, this person got a, had a full blown career at 23. And this, we make comparisons and act like God ought to be paying attention to our comparison and put us on the same timeline. And God said, no, I need to prepare you for marriage or to put you in marriage would be a disaster. I need to prepare you for a career or putting you in that company would only be disastrous. And too often, here's, here's what David was becoming. Go back with me quickly to, to 1 Samuel 16. David was in preparation. He wasn't wasting those years of waiting 1 Samuel 16, verse 19. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is, a cunning, that is cunning and playing, a mighty, valiant man, a man of war, prudent in matters, a comely person. And the Lord is with him. would it be good if we could say this about our 18-year-olds? would it be good? You, you know what David had been doing? He had been preparing himself, and he would continue to prepare himself And let me just explain something to you, young people. We actually convince ourselves that we're waiting on God when it's God waiting on us. You know, your kids are convinced. You know, my kids were convinced about when they were waiting to drive. They thought they were waiting on me. I'm just waiting on dad to tell me yes. I'm just waiting on dad to help me buy a car. I'm just no, no, no. Dad's waiting on you. Dad is waiting for you to develop. Dad is waiting for you to get prepared. Dad is waiting for you to be more aware. Dad is waiting for you to become less dangerous to yourself and to others in this city. Dad is waiting for you to set aside more money. Dad is waiting for you to find a better deal on a better vehicle. You know what? While we think we're waiting on God... Uh, David thought he was waiting on God for the throne. Uh, no, God was waiting on David to become more prepared because, hold on for a second, God didn't want another Saul on the throne. And if David, had David sat on that throne in youthful pride, he could have easily replicated, duplicated, become the very same person that God was trying to replace. Look what it says. Go with me to Psalms 40 for just a moment. Here's the amazing thing about God. Because he's totally unaffected by time. What, what takes us long to plan and scheme and prepare for, God can do in, in absolutely a matter of seconds. In just a moment. I remember the story of David and Goliath? So what's the Bible tell us? Here comes this giant defying armies of God. Forty days he comes out. All the men tremble in his presence. Even the king King Saul has no desire at all to get out there and do battle with this giant. So every day they get to listen to the same blasphemous man get out there and defy God and the armies of God. And so God sends David a little bit of cheese and ham and crackers. And he shows up no intention of of participating in the battle, but he hears this man to fight the armies of God. And what happens? What would have been going on for the people of God that seemed like was an eternity, 40 days. Can you imagine if you had to deal with this every morning, every night, 40 days. Here comes this thug life to threaten your people and say, if you can't send a man to beat me, y'all are going into bondage. And your king is shaking and quaking. And uh, David uh, sends a rock in the air. God guides that missile into the forehead of Goliath. And what was going on endlessly, God put to death in a moment. Have you ever had that happen? You were so worried about, how is this going to turn out? What am I going to do? God, if you just answer my prayer. And the next day you woke up and it was over. The next day you woke up and there was Mr. Marvelous. You had no clue he was going to go fat and bald, but he was Mr. Marvelous at the moment. God can do that in an instant. Our problem is we're in a hurry. Now look what David says in Psalms 40. I waited patiently. Very few of us can actually make that statement without lying. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he did what? He does what Tyrone is doing to Rachel. Inclined, that's favor. Have you ever seen Tyrone do that to Tony? (laughs) No, because there's someone that's a favorite on Tyrone's list. So he's inclining unto, aren't you glad you cry out, God? Aren't you glad? Have you ever had God lean your way? Now, when it says he cried out, I don't believe David was a blubber and ball baby. Here was a warrior. God's not responding to his weeping or his fussing or his complaining. He's crying out to God in faith, and God is responding to his faith. But what's it say? He was waiting patiently. He's crying out. God inclines to him and does what? What's the next verse saying? He heard my cry and what? He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. Now, I know we refer to this as salvation. And I don't believe David was talking about a spiritual salvation here. I, I believe we're talking about David and there were so many horrible pits over the course of his life. And so many times he was facing such extreme danger. And here's what God did. He would cry out and God would incline to him and pick him up and pull him out and dust him off and favor him. You know how long that took for God to do? In just a moment. But it's the waiting for that. Right? God, I wish you would incline right now where I could actually feel it. Now, here's a problem. During... During these times of waiting, there's a lot of emotions that causes us to do stupid things. Now you're you're not you're not the only one that might do something stupid while you're waiting on God. Abraham, anybody, anyone remember the name Hagar? What happened? Sometimes when you're waiting on God, there's there's jealousy, irritability, depression, frustration. Is God paying any attention? Does he have any plan here? Is he gonna leave me alone? Does he even care? Goes me to Psalms 37. We're right here close. What are we supposed to do when we are waiting on God? Well, just circle those two, two first words in the chapter. Fret. Fret not. Look what it says, verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord while you're waiting. He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Do what? Trust. Do what? Trust. Trust. Young people, you know why you're not supposed to fret? All fretting does is ruin the moment. It doesn't solve anything yesterday. It doesn't solve anything tomorrow. It just ruins today. Young people don't fret that much. Adults have it perfected. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as a light. Verse 7, rest in the Lord. How do we rest in the Lord? We we come to the point where we say God is absolutely trustworthy and he has a calendar and he has a set time and he knows when I need this and when I can handle it and when he should solve it. And it doesn't matter if it's health or finances or a mate or relationships. Go back with me to Psalms 31. Look what it says, verse 14. But I... Trusted in thee, O Lord, I said, thou art my God. Now, what's the next phrase say? My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies. Now, there's a little bit of debate over the background of this psalm. But most believe, I personally believe, this is written by David when he was running from King Saul. Now, here's what would be easy to think, especially as a young man. You've been anointed as king, and uh, you've been promised a palace. Someone else is living there. He he was a friend and a hero. He's now a foe, an enemy that's using every agency of the government, from the FBI, the CIA, local police, state police, and the military to track you down and have you killed. But David said, I rest in thee, I trust in thee, because my times are not in Saul's hands. Saul does not get to determine the day of my death. Saul does not get to determine when I ascend the throne. Saul doesn't get to determine when I sit at that table in the palace kitchen. Saul is not the one that's going to put me. He didn't anoint me and he's not going to put me in the palace. My times are in God's hands. And young people, uh, the best way to rest, if, if you see your parents fretting, it, it's really not I-35 traffic. It's really not a fuss with mom. It, it's not over the burnt bacon and breakfast. It's a bigger deal. What you see is not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is there's something going on in the heart and life of that adult. And there's an unrest because whatever they're going through they have a time frame that they expect god to work in a certain way and when god doesn't follow their calendar normally it creates great anxiety and you become the lightning rod for their frustration because you left your shoes in the entryway where they should have been placed to one side they're not so angry about your shoes They're angry about life and they're angry about God and your shoes are the first thing they saw and since they can't yell at God, what are you doing? Why do you have to trip me up? Don't be an idiot. Don't take it personal. The issue is a bigger one because we can't rest in God because we're not truly convinced that our times are in His. So the emotion of the moment, look what it is. Look what it says, Psalms 130. When you get emotional about waiting on God, you need to be very careful. You do something extremely stupid that'll get you outside of the will of God. Young people, waiting on a mate, waiting on a car, waiting on a career. If you are staying busy, here's what I believe. For a young person that's waiting on a mate, if they are doing everything they can do, not to find the perfect mate, But to become the perfect mate, God will give them the right person. God's not out to give you the perfect mate. God's out to help you develop into the right kind of mate. God's not out to give you the perfect career. God's out to develop your character so you'll be the right kind of employee to actually help a business. God's not out to give you a pastorate. God's out to develop you into a humble servant so that church will actually have someone that'll benefit them instead of someone looking for a church that'll benefit the pastor. God's thinking is so different than our thinking. His times, his times are different than ours because his purpose is different than ours. Look what it says in Psalms 130 verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I what? Now, the only way to keep from quitting while you wait, you know people I've seen just quit, give up, because they're waiting on God, gave up. I've seen people marry wrong, go the wrong direction, accept the wrong job. Uh, Pastor, I I know God's given me this job. i got to work Sundays, two Sundays every month. It's every other Sunday. Uh, I'm I'm believing that was an answer to prayer. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they. You say, what's watch for morning? How many ever went camping? I've been moose hunting in Alaska. You know, you got your tent, you're out there in the middle of nowhere, you start to see bear signs. When you can put your foot inside of a bear print, and your shoe doesn't touch any part of his print, you know that's the wrong creature in your territory, and yeah, yeah, it's just, it's it's not, it's not a good, not a good feeling, but, but there are nights, you know, you, you can't get comfortable, and the weather's cold, and the rain has seeped through the tent, and you know what you're waiting for? He just it for the sunlight. Now, thankfully, in the summer in Alaska, the nights are short. But David is saying, here's my hope in the midst of all. I'm, I'm waiting on God, and I'm not, not going to quit on God because my confidence is in the fact that my times are in his hands, and he knows exactly when. Now, go with me, Jeremiah, and I'm going to ask you two more questions before we close here. God should never... Have to wait on us, although he does. Jeremiah 23. There's some of you here today. You've never been born again. You've heard the gospel. You understand the gospel. You've just never been born again. I mean, if you were to die right now, you would go straight to hell. And you would burn forever in the lake of fire. Because you've simply said, I don't feel like this the right time. In your pride, you've said, I think I'm going to wait. I think I'm going to hold out. Uh, I, I think I understand the gospel. I'm just not totally convinced enough to respond to the gospel. Can you imagine man looking at God in his perfect plan of salvation, the same God that sent his son to die for our sins, and telling God, you might be interested in saving me, but you need to wait because... I'll determine that time. Is, is it is it amazing that God just doesn't eliminate man yeah, from off the planet? As soon as he understands the gospel and then resists the gospel, you would think at that point God would say, okay, you had your day of mercy. You get no more mercy. But there are actually some. I'm not talking about in a general way. I'm not talking about in Austin. I'm talking about right here in the auditorium. There are people that know the gospel, know Jesus loves them, that he died for them, shed his blood to save them. They know that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, but they literally are tempting God by saying, forget that today is the day of salvation, God. I'm going to determine my own... You know how many people are in hell this morning because they thought they would put God on their clock? I'll do this when I feel like it. I'll do this... Uh, the worst decision you could make in your life is to postpone salvation. That's called idiotic. Jeremiah 23. Now here's another promise to David we're all waiting for. Pastor, what do you believe about everything taking place? I believe Christians have gotten so caught up in the negative news. Christians are... Christians, the majority of Christians are more anxiously waiting, awaiting the Antichrist than the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Literally. They're, they're trying to figure out all the prophetical implications and everything from the vaccine. We're all affected by it. And if you're not affected this week, you'll be affected next week. And if you're coming not twisting your arm today, they'll be twisting your arm tomorrow. We know where all this is headed. But as believers, how how many ever sat back and said, Lord, when it comes to the the rapture and the second coming, I would certainly like to put a date on that you'd pay attention to. Anybody ever been there? I heard uh, a pastor uh, recently mention someone in the church that was dealing with all kinds of physical ailments. When that person walked in, in the midst of the conversation, he said, I'll bet you're looking forward to the Lord's return. As a matter of fact, i bet you'd love it if the Lord came back today. With all her physical ailments, this was her response. Yes, pastor, but not for the same reasons that you're thinking. Not for this fleshly body. I actually want to see the Lord Jesus Christ because I can deal with the ailments of this physical body. Let me ask you this question. Most of us, you know why we're anxiously waiting for the Lord's return? We're just tired of the chaos. We're just saying, Lord, could you deliver me from that, uh, that car payment that I should have never bought? That, uh, that be- Lord, can you deliver me from this mortgage that the taxes now have doubled? Jeremiah 23, look what it says in verse 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. Now, we know this is speaking of the millennial reign and eventually the eternal kingdom. Now, how long would David have to wait for this promise? Thirteen years after he's anointed. He becomes king. But what about this promise? Not 13 centuries. At this point, we have no idea. But I will say this a whole lot closer today than it was for David. Thousands of years ago. (laughs) Now, Christians, here's what I'm asking you this morning. It's easy. It's just simply easy to fall into the frustration of not only saying this is what God must do, but this is when He must do it, and if he doesn't, i 'm going to live frustrated. The best we can do right now at this time in our uh, spiritual life is simply say, there is a God in heaven that is coldly orchestrated and calculated. And Satan has not deviated him from that plan. He knows exactly what he is doing. things are unfolding exactly the way it is prophesied in his inspired and preserved and holy word. And we need not, not only just rest in that promise, but to get our children to say, beyond the scope of his return, we have to trust that there's a God in heaven that knows not just what the next step is or what the plan is, but when that next step needs to happen and when it needs to unfold. And we're going to rest in that. And if you're not saved today, if you're not saved to sit there and say, God, I'm going to make you wait. That sends shivers down my spine to think that man, with a God that could, in a in a moment, in a moment make your heart to cease from beating, in a moment could take the air out of your lungs. Isn't it isn't it amazing? That we're so godless that, that you watch people double mask and triple mask, face shield won't even hope to work. I think that's something besides fear. That's called laziness, not fear. Do everything under the sun to protect themselves from COVID, but have no healthy fear of God, the author and giver of life. If you've never been saved, I wouldn't make God wait another 15 minutes. I would say, I need to get born again. I need to do that today.